Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. Mass transit in Tampa Bay's densely populated big cities grabs the headlines, but there's a case to be made that transportation has even more of an impact on people living in rural areas, where it plays a part in issues like poverty and social isolation. What are the issues and what are the solutions to providing mobility to those living in the rural areas? We have in our studio today Ron Pianta, the Planning and Zoning Director for Hernando County, Tom Phillips, Executive Director of Polk County's Citrus Connection, and Dave Hutchinson, Executive Director of the Sarasota Manatee Metropolitan Planning Organization. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. So, Ron, uh, describe the demographics of the people generally living in these out-of-the-way rural areas that we're addressing. Sure. So we're talking about Hernando County. Population of Hernando County is 187,000. We do have an urbanized area, uh, which is about 115,000. So when we're talking about the kinds of peoples that are living in rural areas, Tom, describe um, older people, um, veterans. What sure. Of- so it, it's, a, it's a diverse makeup. Uh, so I'm from Polk County. We have approximately 626,000 individuals. We have 17 municipalities, but the largest of our cities is Lakeland, Florida, which is only 118,000. So 16 of our municipalities are are much more rural. Uh, We're the seventh poorest suburban area in the United States. Uh, 17.7% of our population is at or below the poverty line. And we're uh, largely uh, agricultural and have been hit hard by the citrus greening. Um, so in our rural transportation, we see many individuals who are able to take advantage of the Transportation Disadvantaged Program. That's a, st- a program that is unique to the state of Florida, and it is for those who are at or below the poverty line, regardless of where they live in the state of Florida, and they're able to utilize transportation for a variety of reasons. In Polk County, that's limited to medical or medical-related, Robin, because the need is so great just to get people to medical appointments that we are unable, due to capacity issues, to open that up to larger uh, trip purposes like employment. So Dave, Tom described a high... um a high poverty population in parts of Polk County. Are you seeing that same kind of thing in parts of Sarasota Manatee that you're serving? In parts, uh, yes. N- to the um, percent of the overall population, probably not as much. However, the same issue with transportation disadvantage program funding exists in Sarasota and Manatee and probably statewide. I, I suspect it's tougher in the rural areas and in the rural parts of Sarasota and Manatee counties because the trips are longer. One of the challenges that we have in Polk with the program, and I don't know if you gentlemen see the same thing, the transportation disadvantage does have a mildly invasive financial assessment that's required. And so there are many citizens that could utilize transportation disadvantaged, but they're just not comfortable sharing uh, their financial information with either the transit system or what they perceive to be the government. So that's a barrier that we have to spend a lot of time with 
seniors and folks in transportation disadvantaged to let them know this is something that they can share with us that's comfortable that will be kept confidential. So Tom, it's a 1% sales tax increase that the, that the Hillsborough County voters passed to fund transportation. I was going to ask you what went through your head when you saw that, because I know you tried very hard for Polk County to pass something similar. So we're very excited for the citizens of Hillsborough. Uh, in Polk County, we did have two transportation referenda. We had the 2010 effort, which was a half-cent sales tax for public transportation. That failed 60-40. So in our infinite wisdom, we decided to go for a full penny <laughs> for transportation, where half a cent would go towards roadway infrastructure, and the other half a cent would go towards public transportation. Unfortunately, that failed 70-30. It failed worse. Uh, and so we understand that the taxpayers are comfortable with the level of funding for public transportation within Polk County. So since then, we've consolidated all of our transit into the Citrus Connection. We've been able to return over $600,000 to the Polk County Board of County Commissioners while delivering the same level of service. Our county has made additional investments with that money on the east side of the county, so in the Loffman area, as well as the 27 corridor, which has rural communities such as Davenport and Lake Hamilton. They've received public transportation in the fixed route system for the first time. And to put that in context for your listeners, the, the town of Lake Hamilton only has 1,382 people, and they have public transportation. So we've had to get creative with our funding. Um, but we have seen, as uh, we've asked municipalities to help fund public transportation, we have unfortunately seen two rural areas that have uh, abandoned public transportation. Uh, the city of Eagle Lake was unable to afford their local match. So Eagle Lake, Florida, no longer has public transportation. And last year, unfortunately, the city of Frostproof, Florida, uh, was unable to afford their local match for their funding. So, Well, because Eagle Lake, this I think, is right next to Winter Haven. It is. So it could piggyback onto that. But Frostproof, kind of out there on its own. It is. And so uh, Frostproof had six runs of the bus of the fixed route service and also the ADA paratransit service. And uh, their local match was uh, $3,800 for us to be able to provide public transportation. That money was in the budget, uh, the, the city budget, but uh, the city commission felt that there was a value proposition uh, with public transportation. And, and even though folks came and talked about how they used the system, ultimately, Frostproof City Commission decided that the transportation disadvantage system would be enough for their residents. Mm -hmm. Dave, you're the director of what's called the Metropolitan Planning Organization. We're talking about rural transportation. So does most of your time get spent on transportation planning for the cities? And I mean, do you feel like rural areas might get left out of the mix? In the urbanized areas, we have at least some level of public transportation service available for people to get to and from work. And when you're in the more spread out parts of Sarasota and Manatee and, and the rural um, counties of the state, I think it's very challenging for someone who's, who lives sort of out in the country, so to speak, to get to work if they aren't able to drive a car or they have a, a, an issue with their car. So Ron, Hernando just put money into extending the bus service. We, we did. And, and let me kind of describe the situation in Hernando County a little bit because it, it's a little bit different than what we've been talking about with, with Tom and Dave. 
We do, again, we do have an urbanized area, so we have a fixed route. And we recently expanded service to include Saturday service and extended the hours of operation for the fixed route. I just want to ask, what do you mean by fixed route? Fixed route is the the bus is on a prescribed route with prescribed stops. People know where the stops are. Um, typical that you would see in an urban area. Typical. Not door to door. Not door to door. But we do provide a complimentary door to door service that averages about 13,000 to 16,000 trips a year, as opposed to our fixed route, which is about 140,000 trips per year. Right now, there's a nonprofit, Mid Florida Community Services, that provides the rural transportation service, and it's important that they integrate and we integrate together so that they can get people into the urban area, into the fixed route, so they can get to shopping and doctors. That, that actually brings up land use. And I guess I would stick my neck out here and say that, that as our rural areas develop and land, and land uses change, it's important that some clustering of uses be allowed to occur because then you are able to provide, you know, um, a, a, some sort of service to a cluster of doctor's offices, for example, or medical facilities, which in Florida will always be important. When you have cluster development and planned development, then you're much, your transportation can achieve efficiencies. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Tom. Absolutely. Because I think, Robin, that one of the oversimplifications that I see, and I think is the elephant in the room for all of us in the rural communities and the, and the rural sections of our counties, is that Uber and Lyft are somehow the solution for everyone. Uh, however, when you look at going from Haines City, Florida, to Winter Haven, Florida, to your job maybe at Legoland, uh, you're looking at possibly a $18 or $16 Uber ride each way. And if you're earning $15 or $20 an hour, then you're not taking home an eight-hour paycheck. You're taking home a six-hour paycheck. And so I think that there's this oversimplification for those of us that live in urban areas when we go on vacation and we say, wow, Uber was so affordable. It was so easy to use. But think about using that for 100% of your daily trips if you live in a rural area where your closest grocery store or doctor's office is 8, 10, 15 miles. Uber is and Lyft are absolutely affordable compared to a taxi, but they're not affordable as compared to public transportation, especially if you're on a fixed income. How, how affordable are they, would they be for, for the state funding, for the, for the county funding agencies? In other words, instead of buying a bus and putting in a bus route, which would be expensive. What about um, credits for an Uber ride somebody might need once every couple of weeks to go to shopping or, you know, to go visit their children or whatever it is? I, I think I think a lot of there's been a lot of talk about that and a lot of people are looking at that. And there's no reason why, you know, we shouldn't continue to look at that and experiment with it to see if it helps stretch the dollar and provides the needed trips. But I think as a solution, it's not it's not the solution. Dave, our, you wanted to. Yeah. Our transit agencies are looking at it as well. And I think in certain instances, it will um, pan out. But we, are, we tend to be very risk adverse in government. And when you don't require the same level of um, safety and carrying capacity, um, wheelchair carrying capacity of, a, of your contract with Uber or Lyft, then, you know, it's expensive to provide a van that will take someone's scooter. 
versus um, just hop in. And, and I some people can't hop in. And so how do we how do we provide for them? And I don't want to have an Uber or Lyft pile on. However, Robin, I think it's extremely important to point out that many of the door-to-door trips that we're doing are individuals who are in mobility aids, um, and that could be a wheelchair, either a power or a manual wheelchair. And while Uber and Lyft are attempting to close that gap, uh, systematically, from where I sit as a transit professional, it is the biggest issue that no one is talking about, right? If Uber or Lyft systematically said that we weren't going to pick up people of a particular persuasion, let's say African-American, it would be on the front page of the paper. If Uber or Lyft asked for your sexual orientation and then left you at the curb based on your answer, it would be on the front page of the paper. However, hundreds of people every day throughout the United States that are in wheelchairs or are visually impaired or otherwise are left at the curb by Uber and Lyft because these drivers do not have to accommodate the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, So I think it is extremely important to recognize that even if there were strong pilots out there, uh, we really need ride sharing services really need to address uh, that not everyone is able to just hop in the backseat of a sedan. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham, and today we're talking about how to provide public transportation options to people living in rural areas. My guests in the studio are Ron Pianta, Planning and Zoning Director for Hernando County. Tom Phillips is the Executive Director of Polk County's Citrus Connection. And Dave Hutchinson is the Executive Director of the Sarasota Manatee Metropolitan Planning Organization. I just think this discussion of Uber and Lyft and ride-sharing services is really there's a lot to be said about it. And I think, Tom, you just made a great point about the fact that they don't have to pick up people who have an electric wheelchair or something like that. But can it be part of the mix? Ron, are you looking at it as something that could help? Well, I think it's it's a niche service. It's exactly what it is. And and there are, uh, as Tom had pointed out, the majority of those riders uh, have some they have some need for a wheelchair lift where they have a scooter or they just need assistance getting on the vehicle. And all those vehicles that are equipped with wheelchair lifts and they're expensive vehicles, you know, they're, they're $80,000 vehicles. So you can't expect that uh, Uber or Lyft would be provide that kind of service. Right. But, Robin, I think to your point, yes, there's a, there's a role that they can play. So in Polk County, uh, because of the budget constraints and the, and the need, we typically operate from about 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock in the evening because of our funding. Uh, would there be a place for Uber and Lyft where it is more financially feasible for those that can use Uber and Lyft for us to look at uh, expanding our hours to maybe 8 o'clock or uh, earlier in the morning or later in the evening? Absolutely. Uh, for um, where we hit capacity times, I think that Uber and Lyft absolutely have a role uh, to play. But again, I think that, that this discussion is healthy because we're talking about what the limitations of Uber and Lyft are. And I think there's just, in the last few years, I have seen such an oversimplification that, well, Uber and Lyft are going to put you out of business anyways, so let's just go ahead and partner with them. But I do believe that there's a role to play. But you're saying you are using, I think, what's described as microtransit, so not these big buses that you'll see in the cities, but maybe smaller, I think you called it, Ron, a minivan 
or something that just can pick up maybe a few people? Dave, are you guys using this? Maybe go door to door? Well, we're encouraging the private sector or large employers to develop van pools, and that's um, more robustly developed in the Tampa Bay region than it is in the Sarasota Manatee region. And the that so that's a challenge, but we can't keep doing things the way we've been doing them because we can't afford to as far as transportation goes. Electric vehicles are not paying gasoline tax, and most of our transportation systems have been funded by gasoline tax. Okay, that's a huge point. So as you said, gasoline tax has been paying for transportation projects. Yes, and I think we've seen a 12% decline in the gas tax, Robin, since 2010 in Polk County due to fuel-efficient cars. Millennials don't want to drive as much, and and um, and people are just ultimately driving less. Uh, now with the economy, they're starting to drive more. Um, but it is, it is something that's a challenge. So we've had to rely more and more on either the Polk County Board of County Commissioners, who've been very gracious and have plugged that gap with uh, their general fund property tax revenues, um, and, and again, having, as you said, buy the vehicles that match the service. I really, I think we have to look for innovation like that. And I think our transit agencies in Florida have been and are innovative, but they're challenged. It's hard to hire enough drivers. Mobility fees versus impact fees from new development. Uh, new development in Florida is important. It's part of our economy. It's part of how our regions grow. And the private sector's investment in in the communities. So you would all, I think, be affected by the state's new toll road plan. Um, it, it will extend the Suncoast Parkway from the Tampa Bay area north to Georgia, extend the Florida Turnpike west to hook up with the Suncoast Parkway, and then a new transportation corridor from Polk County to Collier County. Um, Senate President Bill Galv- Galvano, who's from Bradenton, says these roads would help rural areas. And I just want to know, I want to get your take on it. Ron? Well, it'll help rural areas in the sense that it'll lead to growth uh, and urbanization. And you're in the transportation business. So what do you think? Well, I have a planning background, okay? And uh, I think um, some of the communities are not prepared for growth, nor do they desire growth. So I think that's a big issue to vet that with the communities that might be impacted by these new toll roads. I would I would reiterate as well or, or agree. Uh, our longtime congressman, Congressman Dennis Ross, had a very famous saying that he would say when he talked about public transportation and roads in general, which is transportation breeds opportunity. So I think that these toll roads will bring new economic development. As far as uh, taking people out of their cars and, and into public transportation. I'm not sure exactly what the effect of that is going to be long term, uh, but that's something that is probably for another show and in, in that we really need to look at with Bright Line coming and, uh, and, express, and look at express buses and how do we really connect the region with rail and with public transportation. Great points. Robin, I, I'm a fan of what are, they're calling the multi-modal uh, or um, multi- infrastructure corridors because they're going to look at more than just transportation. They're looking at electricity and other utilities. And I think that there's the potential for even providing a corridor where some mass transit could could go. Um, 
I think 900 people a day or thereabouts are still moving to Florida, and they're not all moving into our urbanized areas. So we're gonna we they can't all get around in individual cars. So um, we don't our grid having a robust grid system is important for individual communities, and it's important for the state. So having one more um, route north and south along with I-75 and I-95 is it's not going to be that far into the future before we will need something to relieve the current um, two interstate systems. I, I don't think that the impacts will be as negative as feared. I think there will need to be careful environmental analysis done so that they're planned right, they're built right, and I think the impacts on the community is that as part of the environment are, are crucial um, and so involving the people who are along those routes uh, will be important. But I-75 and the ability of people to get back and forth on I-75 and I-4 affects Sarasota and Manatee County. So anything that helps relieve the congestion that really does exist on I-75 will benefit our region. Uh, I-75 is, is certainly an issue, but we did talk earlier, Dave, about urban sprawl and integrating land use with transportation. So we have to be careful about how those areas do develop when they get the opportunity so that they're dense enough to provide public transit and to provide access to jobs and, and, and economic opportunities as opposed to urban sprawl um, where we just compound the problem. Absolutely. That's the opportunity that they exist is if we can sort of revamp how we are growing and not um, exist on, you know, I mean, I know that having one house for five acres is kind of a, a base of density, but um, having villages and having a little bit more compact development can can end up being much more efficient. And for the portion of the 900 people a day that are moving to Florida that do choose the rural lifestyle, um, or find themselves wanting to go to a rural lifestyle later on, I'd imagine that if you polled those, that almost 100% of them would say that they want to age in place, uh, that they want to be able to age gracefully in their home and spend their last days or years in their home, not in a facility. And one of the things that we see is that one of the first challenges to aging in place is typically transportation. They've lived in their home. They moved here in, the, in their early uh, retirement years, and now 15, 20 years later, the macular degeneration sits in, sets in, or uh, arthritis, or, or gout, or other issues that don't allow them to drive. And they've lived in their home. They've lived in these communities. They're able to take care of themselves in their homes. But getting to the grocery store, getting to medical appointments, um, getting to church, and those types of social outings becomes difficult. And if there is not rural public transportation, it leads individuals to have to enter into the nursing homes that are very costly to us, the taxpayers, cost to themselves and not what they want to do. So quality rural public transportation is extremely important to aging in place, not only to the 900 people who are coming here, but the fact that the baby boomer generation is the largest cohort of the population is retiring uh, very quickly, and they're going to expect that the services, they, they are the generation that changed the United States. We built schools to accommodate the, the, the glut of the population. They literally changed this country. And I believe this very large voting block is going to be in for a surprise 
when they find that there are not the public transportation door-to-door services that are there to meet their needs on a consistent basis. Well, let's look ahead a little bit at what's coming down the pike. I want to know what what's next. What are the promising developments that you see in public transportation? I'd like to hear from you, Ron. You know, I, I think that uh, more efficient vehicles, more efficient loading of the vehicles, more efficient scheduling, things like partnering with other agencies and uh, partnering with Uber and Lyft, you know, those are, those are very important concepts that, that we have to continue to develop. And we have to continue to also provide funding. So dedicated funding is going to be key to long-term transportation. And, uh, you know, Tom mentioned it, but that loss of independence, you know, is very important as we age. And we have to be able to provide the population with that sense of independence to get them where they need to go. Um, Otherwise, they become a burden on themselves and a burden on society. So transportation is a very important part of your life, particularly as you get older. Dave. Well, Robin, I think this is one of the most exciting times in transportation in several generations because of technology and the prospect of of some sort of automation coming into vehicles. It's improving safety already. Um, you know, imagine the vehicles that don't have backup cameras and those that do, um, as an example. I mean, now, now almost all new vehicles have some sort of a backup camera and an alert when there's a car next to you. So there's potential for safety improvements, um, whether or not they will be on all streets at all times and in all places remains to be seen. But there's the potential for autonomy and autonomous vehicles providing some benefit to our rural areas is there. So that's that's one factor. Um, lots of promise I see in, um, you know, protecting the environment in throughout the state as far as water quality. We heard some announcements recently about some initiatives that are going to be brought forth to better protect water quality in the state. And that comes back to how we grow. I think that that offers some potential for bringing, raising once again that discussion of land development patterns and what people want. Do they really want the same old subdivision with one entrance in and one entrance out and no grid that we've seen so much of? I think the the regionalization of transportation is going to be a very important factor for the Bay Area. And you have uh, Tibarda that is um, actively involved in trying to come up with regional concepts so that we can provide um, connections throughout the region. And that's Im- very important for us because we've we partnered with them. And I, and I think the future is bright for Tibarda and, and bright for the region. So Polk County, I think that we're kind of the epicenter for what's going on. We have Florida Polytechnic University and the investment in SunTracks with FDOT there. So literally the autonomous vehicle uh, breeding and training ground for the entire state. So we're watching that, Robin, and that's what what's going to come out of Poly is going to be exciting in the next three, five, ten years. And in the meantime, again, our I can't thank our county commissioners enough for increasing the local funding without raising taxes, looking at how they're parceling things out, and we're investing in traditional public transit models in rural communities, our 27 Express to alleviate 
transportation issues on the 27 corridor and emerging markets like the Lofman area that are still largely rural and the Posner Park area doing some flex services that are a combination of both fixed route and paratransit services utilizing smaller buses. So we're, we're mixing the old with the new, and I'm, I'm very excited about the future of, of public transportation. That's Tom Phillips, Executive Director of Polk County Citrus Connection. We've also been talking to Ron Pianta, Planning and Zoning Director for Hernando County, and Dave Hutchinson, Executive Director of the Sarasota Manatee MPO. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Robin. There are lots of ways for you to connect with us. You can tweet us at Florida Matters or find us on the WUSF Facebook page. You can listen to Florida Matters whenever it's convenient for you as a podcast. Search for it and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The show is produced by Christy O'Shauna. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.